You've seen Chef Brian Duffy on Spike TV's Bar Rescue, NBC's Today Show, and opening bars and restaurants all over the world. Now he's sharing his stories, his friends, and some tips of the trade he's learned along the way. Prepare yourself to get Duffified. This is Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. What's going on, everybody? How you doing? It is Friday morning. Yep, it's Friday morning, and we are uh, sitting here live. Actually, right now with the Flying Fish Craft House in Philadelphia, and we are uh, getting ready and riled up for a pretty crazy weekend. Um, I am actually going to be in the restaurant for a little while tonight, then we're heading out to do a little boxing over at Arena 2300. Uh, we are going to watch uh, Isaiah Wise fight tonight, so we're pretty stoked about that. A little local Philly boy doing some good stuff down at Arena 2300. Uh, right after that, I get to head down to the wonderful Atlantic City, Atlantic City, Pennsylvania. Or Pennsylvania. What am I talking about? Down in New Jersey, where I'm going to be doing a. I have an appearance tomorrow morning, so this is Saturday, uh, the second or third or fourth of June. I don't know what the date is, but it's Saturday. Uh, after the podcast, we're going to be down for the Atlantic City Food Truck Festival. I'm going to judge. I'm doing a big demo. I'm having a whole bunch of fun, and I'm super stoked about that. Um, it uh, it has been a crazy, crazy, holy shit week. I, like I have a headache now, still from last Friday night. So last week's podcast was the drunken podcast that we did uh, at Ian Beckel's house with Kathy Suzwitz and Monica Madison, and also known as Bills fan Monica and uh, Kathy Susie. So. Uh, we had a blast, man. I, I, I laughed. I don't know. For God, we only recorded for an hour and a half. I laughed for roughly like eight hours. I mean, it was just not never ending. It was just continuous the entire night. So uh, I hope you guys had a chance to listen to that and have some fun at the same time. Um, so, so kind of this week's opening is uh, really going to be a little bit about the stuff that I keep reading in the newspaper. Uh, let me pull up my article here for a second that I've been reading about. Uh, you know, this whole world, I guess it was in Seattle or Portland, Portland. Let me Google for a sec. You thought I'd be prepared for this. Um, chef Mexican. What am I doing? Mexican chefs, Mexican chefs. Um, you know, one of the things that I keep seeing is all these articles that are coming out about should white chefs. I'm sorry. This was from the Washington Post. Um, and should white chefs sell burritos? A Portland food cart's revealing controversy. So it starts off with letting us know that Portland already has been the epicenter of the growing movement to call out who people, to call out white people who profit off the culinary ideas of dishes swiped from other cultures. In the days since two white women were shaming, shamed into shutting down their pop-up burrito cart after telling a reporter that they had picked the brains of every tortilla lady in Puerto Nuevo, Mexico, Portland has become all but fed up with the cultural, the cultural appropriation within its city limits. Man, I can't even read. I have such a horrible headache. Let me do that again. In the days since two white women were shamed into shutting down their pop-up burrito cart after telling a reporter that they had picked the brains of every tortilla lady in Puerto Nuevo, Mexico, Portland has become all but fed up with the cultural um, appropriation within its city limits. One writer has stated flat out that Portland has an appropriation problem Going on to explain, because of Portland's underlying racism, the people who rightly own these traditions and cultures that exist are already treated poorly. The appropriating businesses are erasing and exploiting their already marginalized identities for the purpose of profit and praise. Look, here's what this comes down to. What we're talking about is 
You're telling me in our fucking country, in the United States of America, that we have a group of people that are bitching because chefs are starting to utilize other people's cuisines? So let me think about this. So I graduated from culinary school, and I learned the basics of French cooking. I learned the basics. I took that, and I was able to turn it into a career that I'm proud of and something that I really enjoy. But you're going to tell me that you're so, – so what, am I not allowed to cook French food? Are you telling me that I'm not allowed to put a taco on my menu? I'm not allowed to put a boxty of something of Irish descent. I can't put a chipino on my menu. Are you telling me this? Who the fuck are you? So who is this jackass that wrote this fucking article? Sorry. I hate to be cursing so much, but I can't believe that this is actually something. um, Oh, my God. Someone in the city of Roses has even created a Google document listing the white-owned restaurants that have appropriated cuisines outside of their own culture. For each entry, the document suggests alternative restaurants owned by people of color. One appropriative business is the Voodoo Donut, the small donut chain accused of profiting off a religion thought to combine African, Catholic, and Native American traditions. Who can't identify with the campaign to support the people whose voices are muffled in a culture still dominated by white males? Are you kidding me? In this day and age, the amount of respect and the amount of uh, props that are given out to the people that work within us, one of the things that I pride myself on is my ability to create, to cook in a cuisine, and I do it pretty well. If I'm going to do something Italian, guess what? I'm going to do research on that, and I'm going to find it. I did that, and I'm pretty good at cooking my Italian. Okay, my Irish skills, look, I I created a lot of my own cuisine working around the basics of what was happening within Irish cuisine. When I opened an Irish restaurant, I spent six fucking months doing research so that I could do it right, so that I could do it proudly. When I, was doing, when I wanted to learn how to roll sushi, I went and worked in a Japanese restaurant. So now you're going to tell me that a white sushi, sushi, blah, blah, a white sushi uh, chef, Jesus Christ, it's hard to say that, a white sushi chef is going to be shunned because of this? This is a complete and utter disgrace that this is even a, com- a conversation. Then... And we get into this whole other world that I'm hearing about and that I'm talking about. The problem, of course, is not that a white diner falls in love with an immigrant cuisine. It's that a white person profits from the cuisine or more troublesome for many becomes the leading authority on it. So rather than a chef born into the culture, I'm thinking specifically about chefs and or authors such as Rick Bayless with, Mick, uh, with Mexican, Andy Ricker with Thai, and Fuchsia Dunlop with Sichuan. Uh, a James Beard award-winning multiple times over, speaking of, of Bayless, has faced the question of cultural, pro- cultural appropriation so often he once wondered aloud if it's a matter of reverse racism. Bayless's, uh, Bayless's response is very simple, and it did not go over well in some corners is what the author writes in this, in part because he sounded so, quote-unquote, whiny, as Gustavo Arreno, I like that, you like that, Arreno, wrote for the OC Weekly, despite Bayless's uh, apparently white skin, sorry, thin skin, uh, somebody, he, he supports the chef's work. I, I just can't believe that this is actually even a conversation. I can't believe that this is a conversation. Are you telling me that black people can only now cook African cuisine? Are you telling me that I have to be completely fucking white? So what do you expect me to do? Make some barbecue and do some fucking grilled cheese? But if I want to do a pasta, I got to call an Italian chef in? This is the biggest jackass of, of all. I can't believe that this is even a conversation. There's even a blog by a woman named, uh, what is her name? Her name is Teresa Puente. And I've noticed Rick Bayless everywhere lately on television and in magazines. He's considered the leading chef of Mexican cuisine in Chicago. 
and probably the nation in the Chef at Frontera and Topola uh, Bampo in Chicago. And she says, she went on to say, I tried each one of his restaurants once and the food was great, but I never went back. Something just bugged me that a white guy was gaining so much fame for his Mexican cuisine. So, you know, th- this is what we're talking about. So now I've, we've got, what, 100 and some odd master chefs that run through this country. And we have, in, I'm sorry, in the world, we have 107, 111 master chefs. And they've each mastered the basics of the cooking, even f- beyond the basics of it. They've mastered the art of, of cookery, okay? But one of the key ingredients and one of the key components to pretty much all things, uh, all things cooking revolves around the basis of French. Uh, Escoffier was the godfather of kitchens. He was the guy who talked about the fact I, he standardized kitchens. He was the one who created the hierarchy, the way that a line works, the way that the organization gets put together. He was the master who did that. We then, as students, learned from him and moved forward with that. Like I said, I learned the basics. I know my five main mother sauces. I get all that good stuff. I learned the basics of French cuisine, and I can cook it pretty well, and I understand it, and I know how it works. I don't call myself a master in it, but you know what? If I step back and, 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 and study and do what I need to do, I can master French cooking as well, just as I like to do within my own craft of what I cook now. But I'll tell you what, becoming a master of Irish food, that was something I did. I became one of you know, voted best Irish chef in America two years in a row. That was something that I was super proud of. I wanted to do something, and I wanted to do a, give honor. I wanted to pay homage to, an, to, a, to a cuisine that typically got shit upon. You know, you think about Mexican food and what's happened in the last how many years, and it's not the fact that Mexican chefs are coming running to America to open up their own Mexican restaurants. It comes down to a guy like Rick Bayless who has, who has mastered the cuisine, who is treating it with respect, who is paying homage to that cuisine, that people are coming in and saying, this is what I like from home. This is what I like from home, which is the reason why... I get so fucking heated about this stuff because I can't believe that somebody would have the balls, the tits, whatever you want to call it, to sit back and state that you have a problem going into the restaurant of somebody who makes money off of that cuisine. Because guess what? Bobby Flay, look, he does all sorts of stuff. He does a Tex-Mex. You know what? The guy's not, the guy's not from, from, from Pueblo, okay? But he does it better than most people do within this country. His style of food was created by him and it was mastered different techniques from all of the melting pot of people that live in this country. That's the way that this world works. That's the way that our country works. We are a culture, we are a culture of diverse people. I'm an Irish-Italian man. That's what I am. My father has Irish and Italian in My mother has Irish in her. That is the way that I was raised. I was raised to, 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 to grasp, to embrace different cultures, to learn about them. My ex-girlfriend was Jewish. Multiple women that I've dated were Jewish. I love some of the Jewish food. I love the traditions that follow through with that. I love that a guy like Michael Solomonov has taken Israeli cuisine to a whole new level. As one, he was just voted best, best, best chef in America by the James Beard. Okay, by James Beard House. And you're going to tell me we're going to shun this motherfucker? Because what? Because he's, he's, he's a Jewish guy, but he's not from Israel? So he can't cook Israeli food? If we start limiting what it is that we can do because of our race, we are nothing but a racist union again. So every step that we take forward, no matter what cuisine it is, no matter what culture we are, no matter what, 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 what profession you're in, now, guess what? Does that mean that, I don't know, that, that Japanese can only do sushi, but I, if a white guy wants to, he can't do in his restaurant? That's a fucking disgrace. And you know what? You, my friend, Miss Teresa Puente, on August 10th, 2009, you wrote this article, and then the article that comes out later on down here from, uh, let me see this again. 
This article came out from the Washington Post on May 26th. Oh, wow. Yeah, I burped in your ear. That this article came out on May 26th. Should white chefs sell burritos? A, a, food, a Portland food cart's revealing controversy. You know, uh, this guy who wrote this article, his name is Tim Carmen, And the article for him, I think, kind of goes both ways. It talks about it in either way. It's, it's really kind of, a, kind of a, a neutral stance on it because he's not really stepping up for what it is. Um, but what he is going forward in here and saying is that, let me find this part that I really liked about this. Um, ba, 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 ba. On, on a macro scale, the involvement of white chefs and restaurateurs from foreign countries can benefit all. Take Josh Phillips, a white partner in Espita Mescaleria, a Shaw establishment dedicated to the food and drink of Oaxaca. The vast majority of Espita's roughly 65-member staff is Mexican. They're paid decently, and all full-timers are offered health benefits. The restaurant employs not just one full-time tortilla maker, but four of them. And what it's saying is that in good hands, the immigrant chefs or the immigrants craft the foundations of your favorite restaurant dishes. And that's the truth. That is the truth. My food is pretty much typical American with the way that I do stuff, whether it's a comfort level, whether it's a burger, a pizza. Hey, pizzas are Italian. Fuck it. I guess I can't sell a goddamn pizza anymore. I'm angry about this. We are all one, one race, people. We are all human. We're all from the human race. We have the ability in our lives to make decisions that are not taking away from somebody else. Look, if there's a Mexican chef who wants to come to this country and become the greatest Mexican chef in this country, guess what? What's stopping him? We don't have a fucking wall. If he's going to come here legally and he's going to open a restaurant and do what it is that he needs to do, who the fuck are you to try to stop them? That is embarrassing. It is a disgrace. And I cannot believe that this was an article that was actually written and that this is something of, of discussion amongst the people that I, I am in this industry with. So here's my feelings on all of this. And I hope that you guys enjoy because guess what? Uh, well, let me do it this way. Here's how I feel about this. I think it's a disgrace. I want to learn something. I'm going to learn it. I want to go after something. I'm going to go after it. You want to stop me? I dare you to get in front of me and try to stop me from learning something. You guys got a challenge for me? Send it out to me. I'll master something in the next couple of months. I'd love to. I'm not saying that it's going to take me a couple of months to master because I know I just said that. But what it is going to do is, look, Rick Bayless has been at this his entire life. This is not as in, this, Rick Bayless has been at this forever. This is something that he's done forever. He's a master in this cuisine. He's a master in this arena. You want to try to take that away from him because he's white? What the hell is that? That's a jackass maneuver. So where does that leave me? That leaves me right now as a pissed off chef sitting in my restaurant in the back room, listening to music, watching my servers buzz around and get served or watching my servers buzz around and get ready for service. So in my kitchen right now, I have a series of African-American gentlemen. I've got a, uh, an American chef. I've got two Mexican guys, and I've got a whole conglomerate of people out front. Tonight, we're doing $10 burgers and beers, okay? That's what we're going to do tonight. Guess what I'm doing this weekend? I'm doing tacos. I might even do an Asian dish. Why not? What the fuck? You want to come and stop me? Come and stop by and say hi. Uh, you know, after my little rant there that you guys just heard, and I know I was a little aggressive on it, but I can't believe in this day and age that we are going to try to shun um, somebody or try to take back uh, the information, the knowledge, the experience, the mastering ability that somebody has of a cuisine because of their race. So guess what? I thought it completely appropriate, and it actually worked out really well, that I'm going to bring to everybody over here um, the wonderful world of... Uh, a, a, an Indian chef, okay, who has decided that he really likes Mexican cuisine. So, guess what? He's not white. He's Indian, but he's doing Mexican cuisine. So, who's going to go after this guy now? That's what I want to know. 
I dare you to go after him because this guy's crushing it right now. So who are we talking about right now? We are talking about the absolutely wonderful Chef Akhtar Nawab. Okay. Chef is a uh, – I met Chef a couple of weeks ago when I was up in New York. I was taping Beat Bobby Flay. He was a judge with me. Super, super good dude um, that uh, I, I really enjoyed having a conversation with him. And I looked forward to, uh, to really chatting with him. Uh, you know, because his, his kind of, how can I put this, the world that he lives in, which is something that's a, a little bit different. You know, he opened up a whole bunch of really cool places. And, um, you know, this is a guy who's got, he's got a bunch of different properties. He owns a consulting company called Akon Consulting. He owns a restaurant called uh, Alta Calidad. He owns a couple of restaurants called Choza. He's got a concept and fresh food concept, which is gluten-free and all natural and all that good stuff called Indie Fresh. And he's got another property called Pharaoh, which is coming out pretty soon, which is going to have a little bit more of the Indian style to it. Okay. But he's getting ready to open up a couple different restaurants. He's doing one down in Alabama. Okay. And he's from Kentucky. I got an Indian chef from Kentucky cooking Mexican. All right. Who's going to shut this guy down? I have absolutely no idea, but it's not going to happen while it's on my watch. Ladies and gentlemen, please do me a favor. Welcome to Duffified Live. Mr. Mr. Oh, sorry. Let me do that again because I bumbled, and this is a real live show, so I'm going to do it this way. Ladies and gentlemen, do me a favor. Welcome to the show, my new favorite friend who happens to be a Kentuckian who's Indian, who cooks Mexican food, and is in, he's on fire. He's going after it. He's making it happen. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the program on Duffified Live, Chef Akhtar Nawab. All right, everybody. So here we go. We got to uh, give you a little bit of an intro and a little bit of a background on my buddy uh, who I met up at uh, Beat Bobby Flay a couple weeks ago up in New York. Uh, on the, on the, uh, the line, the show, every all the good stuff with us, we have uh, Akhtar, Akhtar Nawab. Good morning, sir. How are you? Just another day in paradise, man. It's finally, we finally have some sunshine outside. I know. It's going to be 80 over here today. No yeah. complaints. We have, uh, I think we have a little bit of rain coming up on the weekend, but it's supposed to be a beautiful weekend around here. So we're good. We're right. good. So, uh, so how many places are you doing right now? Um, so uh, I got a, I got, I got a group of taquerias called Choza, and right. we we actually have five of those. Wow. Um, I have a health food company called Indie Fresh, and uh, that's more of a, uh, a direct to consumer wholesale play. Although we do have two locations, one's in Chelsea Market, um, and then I have this new restaurant I opened in Brooklyn called Alta Calidad, which is a Mexican concept. Um, that we opened about two months ago. And then we have a handful of things coming up this year that aren't open yet, but uh, we're excited to get started with it. Oh, that's cool, man. Yeah. So what, what, what kind of put you into the, uh, into the, the Mexican world? What's your nationality? What's your nationality? Um, my family's from India. Okay. I was, uh, I was born in, uh, in Milwaukee, okay. raised in Kentucky. And uh, started cooking Mexican. So I'm, I, I always say I'm the only Indian, uh, Indian, Indian raised Kentucky, Kentucky, uh, Wisconsin born, Kentucky raised Mexican chef, <laughs> as well as the only Octar you're going to meet today. Yeah, exactly. And it's funny because when yeah. we first started getting into this, uh, uh, Octar had sent me his, uh, his Skype name and I searched for it. And there were literally 47 Octars, Octar Nawabs with the same exact name, all different pictures. I was like, all right, man, we got to, we got to nail this one down a little bit. So, uh, so what brought you into, what brought you into kind of the Mexican world of stuff? I mean, what's your, what's your background? So, right. It, it's always actually been three and four, uh, star restaurants, you know, like I lived in San Francisco for 
four years. I was working at Bizu at the time. That was the only force, one of the few four-star bistros in the country. Um, I worked at La Folie, which is, you know, super intense, um, high-end French, just getting beat up and yelled at every day. (laughs) And then, um, but you know, it was good disciplines, obviously. Um, and then I moved to New York as a Gramercy and craft. And, and then, uh, at that point I, I, uh, kind of ventured off on my own, but I opened my first place in 2008. You know, my timing typically is never very good with anything. So, uh, why is that? Just 2008 was a rough year to open a restaurant for a, for a novice at the time I was a novice. And, um, you know, I just had, I had a difficult time kind of navigating through those to that, that, that kind of, uh, intense business, um, kind of minefield at the time. And, uh, you know, so we were raising lots of money and, you know, it was all over my head at the time. Uh, we ended up closing in late 2009 because uh, we just couldn't put any more dough together. Yeah. And uh, it was just we we're getting deeper and deeper in debt. Um, it was hard for open a restaurant at that time. You know, it was like, uh, I remember the day the market crashed and I watched our covers go from, you know, 180 or something like that down to like 40. Yeah. And of, of that 40, most people didn't show up. It was just a rough day, you know, yeah. and it just like, turned to be a rough climate. Um and then I just, you know, I took a beating professionally and, and kind of financially and personally, and I just needed a break. And so right. I took a little time off with my kids. She was only two at the time. And uh, I, I got back to work and I was like, you know, whatever happens, I have to do something completely fucking different because <laughs> I'm going to lose my brain. You know, I'm losing my mind right now. And uh, I didn't want to have dishes that took three and four guys to put together. And I didn't want to have um, to manage. Uh, you know, so many different people over one puree, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it just got, um, I just got totally burned out on that kind of, um, cooking uh, just for the time being, you know, and I just, I needed to, um, find something else interesting. It was just, you know, I I wanted to do something different. The, The Mexican stuff was so similar to the Indian stuff that, um, it kind of made immediate sense. Right. You know, and and uh, I was just like, fuck, I want to do something different. And, you know, the most interesting time in my culinary career has always been when I was learning something new. Yeah. So I just made sure that whatever I do now, I'm, I'm always in the position of tackling something different, you know, not necessarily not giving 100 percent to whatever I'm doing, but I just got to be stimulated in the right way. Right. Um, you know, what? see, we're. we're- I mean, it's kind of funny that you had said, you know, you got you, you got to a point that you were tired of watching three, you know, watching three guys make a puree. You know what? I mean, was that the burnout? Was that when you kind of got well, when, you, when you kind of got, you know, I mean, for me, it was I couldn't I got to a point that I couldn't babysit anymore. You know, I felt well, like every time I was walking in, I was I was I was seeing something wrong with it with a standard recipe. You know, uh, I mean, people starting to take their own liberties with stuff was a big thing for me. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I will say that it's, uh, you know, I've been fortunate, fortunate to work with some fucking really good people, right. you know, whether it was, you know, Marco, who just won his Beard Award or Jonathan Benno, who's over at Per Se and Lincoln or Damon or Dave Chang or, you know, the list goes on for a long, long ways. Yeah. You know, Tony Moss, who opened, uh, you know, this place in the uh, Craigie on Main in, in Boston, who's crushing it and. All these great people, I'll tell you, like they, there are not people. I don't see a lot of people of the of that caliber come through anymore. Yeah. I really don't. And 
these are people who would go to the bookstore because there is like this is before you could find everything online. You'd have to go to the bookstore and get a book. <laughs> I loved that though. I still love my cookbooks, man. I have thousands of dollars of cookbooks yeah. that I still look at, but like I wanted to know how Charlie Trotter made that stupid mushroom duck cell when I was a kid <laughs> or that, that fucking potato risotto with, you know, that I had never seen at the time with the red wine reduction and stuffed morels with chicken farce. And you just, you know, if you didn't go there, yeah, you had to read about it. Yeah. What's and, your, what's your, what's your, what's your book? Like what's your, if you have to think back to, to a book, what was the, the one that you loved or still have um, that you love? The, the, the Michelle, the original Michelle Bra, uh, Grand Leave du Michelle Bra, okay. um, was uh, something I, I first saw and when I was working for Loretta in California. But there's, you know, those old vineyard books like, you know, Raymond Blanc and, you know, George Blanc and, and all, all those Bernard Loiseau, like all those books are the ones that like really got me interested yeah. in doing this kind of stuff, you yeah. know. I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a Jacques Pepin La Technique, man. Yeah. Like, I mean, Such a great that, that, book. like how to bone out a duck. Come on. I'll, I'll tell you, you know, like I worked for Chef Colicchio for uh, eight years. Right. And like that guy never went to school. Yeah. He's very good at cooking the way he's kind of created his. Um, and it was kind of his. I've never seen anyone cook like that before. I went to Gramercy Tavern. It's very unique. Right. Um, he kind of taught himself how to do it. No yeah. one taught him how to do it. I was like, you know, that's real craftsmanship. You exactly. know what I mean? Like, absolutely. It's hard. I mean, I, it's hard to find that stuff anymore. And a lot of them that do, and a lot of the ones that are self-taught. I mean, especially now that are coming up, that you know, are, are bucking school or whatever. Are uh, there's just too many corners that are being cut. That's one of the things that I see. I mean, the the passion for the technique and for the classic. And, and again, I'm not a classic guy in any way. The food style that I do is not classic in any way, but, sure, but, sure. but I, I mean, I'm constantly finding that it's a shortcut across the board, you know, everyone, I, I, all I the mean, new cooks that are coming up. I think because maybe you and I know the, the proper way of doing something and they just don't know it. You know what yeah. I mean? Like they just, they, so for them, it's just like normal. Yeah. It's, common it's you know it is like well you're missing the four steps but you know <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you honestly it's just like you know it's not like everyone's terrible these days i'm saying like you know it's it's certainly hard to find someone who's are you there yeah no i'm good we're good okay, i got gotcha. you oh no i'm fully okay. listening no i was just like, <laughs> froze up so i was like you know it's just hard to find it's you know it's difficult to find someone motivated it's difficult right. to find someone um who's as as interested as I was when I was younger, and and you know, and I'm how, still that interested. That's the thing about it. It's like I'm still that interested. Like I'm not the best TV personality. You know, I do some of that stuff. I push myself to do it. I'm not fucking very good at it, right? You know, but I try my best and I give it a shot. You sure. Know? Um, it's it's you know I'm I'm pretty good when it's uh you know in the kitchen and I, I'm I'm good back there. I'm comfortable back there. Yeah. I um, back but there. I but guess. I also know that it's not you know. I, ever since I closed my first place, getting back to what you were saying is like, you know, now I open new restaurants and, you know, we'll make money and cause I'm, I'm better at it. And, you know, right. we're opening this place in Alabama next month of all places. Oh, wow. You know, open a place in Hong Kong in two months. Wow. Dude. And then a place in DC in in October. What are the, pro um, what are the places you guys are open? Are you doing more of the shows or are you doing the other stuff? Uh, in, in Alabama, we, we were approached with kind of a unique deal where they actually, um, 
you know, I say this a lot in New York is like, you know, when you open a restaurant in New York, you just pretty much raise a bunch of money so you can give it all to the landlord, you know? Um, <laughs> it's not that way over there. No, they actually give you money to open right. something and yeah, they, they say, here, here's, here's X amount of dollars. Let us help you build this place. And you're just like, okay, yeah. okay. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. Um, so they, they help us out. Yeah. They help us out. And when, when you, when you get, you know, they're, it's in their best interest to see you succeed and exactly. they want you to succeed. It's right. not like, you know, you know, in New York where, you know, the failure, you know, you know, there's real money in New York in debt, you know what I mean? So right. it's a little different down there. So, um, they approached us for three different projects down there. Um, a bar, a Choza and a restaurant. Oh, cool. Uh, my, my partner, um, from Choza has a big bar background. I don't really have that. So he's really managing the bar. I don't really have much to do with it. I'm not a, a big bar guy. I'm not a big drinker. Right. Um, anymore. You guys doing food over there as well? And so we opened a Choza, uh, Taqueria down there. And okay. then we, uh, we're opening our restaurant Faro, F-E-R-O. Right. Um, in about a month. Nice. Um, I just moved my sous chef down there. Um, Italian inspired concept, you know, a little similar to craft bar. I don't know if you remember craft bar from the I old do. days. Yeah. So when I was at craft bar, there was, you know, a little similar in its rusticity and, and Italian roots. Um, but still, you know, playing toward a lot of the, the Southern stuff we get down there. Right. What, why, why Pharaoh? Um, <clears throat> why the name? Yeah. So F E R O Pharaoh is actually Latin for steel okay. and Birmingham was an old steel town. Um, and part of the downtown area was devoted to some of that steel operations way back when the building we're occupying is called the Pizitz building, which was, you know, it's a couple hundred years old or so. Um, and it was, uh, re it was purchased by a real estate group called bear. Um, and they saw real interest, you know, real interest in, you know, uh, a downtown resurgence. And they were kind of some of the pioneers for uh, what was kind of a rough area for many years. Um, it's kind of like the meatpacking New York. It was so super rough for so long. And then all of a sudden, you know, John <laughs> yeah. George opens a restaurant and, and, you know, all these fashion people open all these places. And now it's just, you know, no, no meat shops left. Right. You know, John Joe, John Joe Baggy's like the only guy down there now, you yeah. know? Um, so it's interesting to me, you know, like we're going to have some fun down there. Um, cool. I think there's a little, you know, there's a little less pressure in the way of, financially because uh, i think we can we can turn this around fairly fast right yeah you know, I mean, like a million dollars out the door before you make a penny kind of thing you know i mean i still look at a lot of my clients and stuff that i work with and properties that i'm involved in that you know i mean we talk about a twenty thousand dollar rent in philadelphia or a thirty thousand dollar rent in new york city mm-hmm. for a couple thousand mm-hmm. square feet and you're talking about you mm-hmm. know three thousand dollars you know, yes. $4,000 for a property that's, that's running, that's right. it, you know I mean? And it's that's just, right. yeah. and, and, and they, they're giving you money to do build outs. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the TI was big for us, you know, yeah. so that was, that was huge. Uh, you know, so I think, you know, my younger self would have kind of scoffed at the idea. Um, my more reasonable self says, wow, that's a great opportunity. We can employ a lot of people and do really well down there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I got a buddy of mine who owns a bunch of panini shops and a, a, a couple of great little seafood, little, they're great seafood spots. And he's running through West Virginia right now. He got involved in West Virginia University and, you know, he started to put one of his uh, fast casual concepts in there. And now he's just blowing up. He's doing them all over the great. place, you know, that's and it's him. a great way to go. I mean, and he gets involved with these good people and they, they staff for him. He goes in and teaches yeah. the staff and makes his visits when he's got to do it. And, um, 
So, so how are you, you know, how are you feeling about the remote location world? Um, I look at it more like second city a little bit, like, you know, Louisville where I'm from, um, is, um, I think you had some connection to Louisville. You said when we were yeah, talking, dude, I talking, love right? that yeah. town. I, first yeah. of all, I mean, I love Kentucky as it is. I mean, I'm I'm a big fan. My sister in law's from Lexington, and we right. discussed we right. discussed the 21C. Right, that's right. So so yeah. um, I look at I look at Louisville as a similar way. You know, like you know, I think I think Birmingham's you know reminds me a lot of Louisville when I was growing up. Right. Um, there's a lot of stuff happening in 10 years. I bet it's going to be fully built out be an amazing place you know nashville kind of went through that i used to grow up going to nashville memphis is a little bit like that but still a little rougher but you know you know i always used to you know we used to go sneak down there and go to barbecue you yeah know? <laughs> you, you sneak, sneak out to owensboro and go to moonlight barbecue when i was in high school you know things yeah. like that so by the way i'm a cook now so what would i mean what brought you into the into mexican i mean i, I know you had said it kind of had had you know rem, re, like qualities that were reminiscent of indian and, and some of the stuff you've huh. grown up with but Right. So when I closed that restaurant and I was like, I need to do something different and a little more free spirited and a little more stimulating for me. Um, the Mexican self presented itself because La Esquina came up to me and said, Octar, do you, are you interested in this position? Um, and I was like, I, I, I don't know anything about this Mexican stuff, you know, right. um, other than, you know, working with, you know, my my prep people, you know. Sure. Who, who are Latin and, you know, right. picking up pieces and things like that from them. Um, and then, you know, four or five trips later and three years at, at La Esquina and, and, you know, so a bunch of consulting work. And I was like, wow, this, this is very stimulating stuff. You know, like these moles are as complex as any, any, yeah. you know, <laughs> any vineyard sauce I've had in Burgundy, you know, right. equally complex. Yes. You know, but there's a real beauty to it because, um, you know, it didn't, it didn't take, it, right. it took, you know, some of these moles take, you know, 25 ingredients. It's like, it's not like simple cuisine in a way, you know what I mean? Yeah. But it's presented in a way where you just cover a chicken with it. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> it, 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 or you it just is. cover a vegetable with it. You know what I mean? Like it's presented as if it's the most simple thing in the world, but it's such a complex, interesting dynamic of flavors you know you you know i'll tell you one of these moles that are one of my favorite it's called uh, it's called a matcha montales um <clears throat> it's like a fruit and vegetable mole almost you know um it has things like sweet potatoes in it and it has things like apples and and you know some recipes have vinegar and some recipe it's just like you know pumpkin seeds and almonds and all, all these different things. You're like, how in the fuck do these things taste good together? <laughs> you know? And then when you really add these things in, in stages and develop their flavor, it's remarkable. Right. You know what I mean? Like and it, really looking for, you know, the difference in flavors and all these chilies and how they're added. It's not like you just throw it in there. That would be a garbage can. You know what I mean? Right. But they throw this stuff in there and it's like super tight, you know? Well, I, um, I mean, I always think back to, you know, how did that, how did that come to, I mean, how did the mole come to, you know I mean? And it, it was, it was a sauce that was created out of availability and, and, you know, and necessity in right. a way. I mean, this is what we have and this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to work it, which is why, right. I, I mean, I love, I love the cuisine, you know, I'm involved in, in a property in Tijuana and we've got some stuff yeah. going on in Guadalajara and down in, in, in Mexico city and, and it, it's just simplistic. 
with right. a tremendous amount of technique. I mean, there's so much of that preparation that goes into it that, that a lot of people just don't pay attention to. You know, they don't right. get that. They, they don't get that. It, it is the complexity of the sauce that goes into it. How, how are you? I mean, did you hear about this article that came out from uh, Seattle? Was it Seattle or Portland? Talking about how these Mexican, you know, these, these they're calling the, the white chefs are cooking Mexican food now and that it's um, just not right. There's, there's been a few, there's been a few articles I've read, you know, like, like, I mean, Noma's a good example, you know, Red Zeppi's down, you know, um, in, in Tulum right now doing this, this pop-up and it sounds super interesting. I think it's not really rooted in Mexican, which is cool. That's fine right. with me. You know, like, I think that's interesting. I, you know, I'm not, you know, around the kitchen, they call me Arturo instead of Octar, but you know, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing that's happening. You know, like I wouldn't say that, you know, Alta Calidad, what I just opened in Brooklyn is purely Mexican. We do have tacos and we do have streaks of authenticity. Right. You know, like we do have, you know, our homemade tortillas and we do have real Mexican flavors, but they're not necessarily presented in a way that's purely Mexican. Right. Um, you know, but- it would be you'd be hard pressed like we do have like, you know. Uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. Like we have a tomatillo, so we have a steak taco that is um, our most traditional thing. It's it's a tortilla and a chicharron of cheese and um, and some charred steak and and uh, you know a tomatillo salsa that's refried except in olive oil instead of pork fat. Right. Um, super super interesting. Tons of flavor. Our most Mexican thing. Then we have things that are like you know. We make a salsa barracha with rhubarb and and uh, chipotle, and you know there's not a lot of rhubarb down there, but you know it subs in for the tomatillos because it's so acidic. Right. Um, and it's just interesting. I was like, okay, it's different. It holds a different emulsion. It's you know, it still tastes like a salsa barracha with mezcal, and, except it has a different element to it. And where are you? I mean, where are you saying? You know what? I think I want to substitute rhubarb for this. I mean, where is that coming? I, I mean, you know, I love asking chefs these questions, like. Like where in your brain were you like, shit, I think I want to use rhubarb. Right. So I think what happens is, is because I'm so ADD and because I have (laughs) such a hard time not. I'm sorry. What are we talking about? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Because I have such a hard time sitting still. um, And I always have like, I think it's given me a good base of ingredient knowledge. Um from doing the Mexican stuff and doing the European stuff and then the Indian stuff that, you know, I'm able to interchange a little bit um, and say, you know what, these tomatillos have a certain acidity that's reminiscent of raw rhubarb. You know, why don't we do something different? You know what I mean? And it's always asking myself, like, what can we do different? How can we improve? You know, maybe it's not really an improvement, but maybe it's just different. Maybe it's equally delicious. I don't know. It's just being creative and using your head. and Right. Not not sitting still and always thinking about you know how much how much time are you spending in the kitchen these days. Um, I opened this place in Brooklyn two months ago, so I've been there nearly every day. You know, and you know, I've I, you know, I told you my daughter's now eleven, so I asked her if I could do this, right? Because I, you know, she knew how much it took me away from home when I was working nights. So like the past, you know, five years, I've only been working. Uh, you know, on these day things, which is Choza and, and Indie Fresh. And I was home at night for her, you know, right. Um, she's with me half the week. So uh, um, I, I, uh, I, I want to make sure I have that time for her. So I asked her, you know, we're very close. I was like, do you mind if I do this? Um, 
And she said, she said, I don't mind, you know, as long as, long as I, I, I can go there and understand what you're doing, I'm, I'm, I'm down with it, dad. Nice. So I was like, okay. Um, so it, it was, it was, you know, just kind of, uh, um, I, I work as much as I can, you know what I mean? Because, you know, that, that time allows, because I like being in the kitchen and, you know, I worked the line yesterday and I'm actually much happier working the line oh, than I am. I love it. Um, expediting or than I am, you know, answering emails sure. or scheduling tastings or, uh, you know, working yeah. with, you know, in talking to whoever is just, you know, it's just fun for me. Like I like to do it. This it's, it's where it's where it's, the, it's what we started doing. That was the thing. Yeah. You know, and so <clears throat> I mean, for me, I, still, I don't even, I, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. For me. I mean, I, I you know, I used to walk into the restaurant and in, you know, a good pair of shoes and a shirt and whatnot. I mean, I, I'm, I'm rolling into the restaurant in clogs and a jacket anymore because I want to be on the line. You know, I don't want to have to be out in front all the time. And I've got an open kitchen in my place, but I want to be on the line. And in reality, my cooks want me to be on the line with them. I think so, too. You know, I mean, they, they, they you know, if you have the right kind of people, I think they're looking to, you know, they started working there because there's because you're there or because yeah. there's opportunity there or because they can learn more, you know. It goes back to what I was saying a little bit earlier. What we were saying is that it's definitely not that easy to find someone who's eager um, to devote time the way um, I think you used to have to. Yeah. Um, we're we're very constricted by labor laws and overtime and things like that. Like you know, bankrupt restaurants, you know, are the ones that have you know tons of overtime. You know, yeah. um, and it's really so expensive these days. So you know. It's unfortunate I have to be so close to regulating it because um, I would love to have these guys work more, you know, these just everyone work more. And then when I was in Lafayette, we'd all work six days and, and you know, long days, yeah, long days, you know, like there at 10 a.m. left, you know, last played out at, you know, 1230. Right. Like, I'm not saying it's the most fun thing in the world, but you know what, that's that was a real learning experience, you know, mm -hmm. intense, you know, no, no one left there without having seven dishes, you know what I mean? Right. So 80, 80 covers for us was a massive amount of volume, sure. you know, massive. You know? Well, and it's, I mean, there's also something to be said about, you know, you doing your prep for your, for your dishes, you know, not I mean, relying on it, not relying on Yeah. You've got a guy cutting fish. Yeah. You've got, you know, uh, you've got prep cooks in the back, but you're, you're, you're setting yourself up for success. Your Mies is your, yeah, you're not. Yeah, you're not. You're not going to yeah sabotage yourself and right. You know, exactly. Yeah, you're you know, not. I mean, and and yeah. it's funny because I was talking to my my chef in my place the other day, and I sent him a text late last night, and I said, you know, we need our we need our guys to have the to have the fun again. Yeah, you know, the business has taken over, and we're missing the fun. You know, I, I mean, we're missing the days of, you know, telling a busboy to get you the left-handed spatula or find you a bucket of steam downstairs in the basement or, you know, the fun things like that, the grab ass with tongs. I mean, these are, you know, those are the things. I mean, you talk about being in a high-pressure kitchen. I was at the Four Seasons in Philly, and, and yeah. Tony Clark was the sous chef who used to throw shallots at me all day. And right. I'd be like, you know, that's not any shallot. That's a Four Seasons shallot that you're peeling. You know what I mean? Right. And it was, and that's what I learned. Like, I took the pride in that that it was, and now, you know, you find a guy who's peeling six layers out of the onion because it was just easier. Right. You know, well, yeah, so, now, now we got to make him make risotto with the onions. Yeah. Exactly. And, <laughs> and I mean, you know, your onion went from 25 cents to 45 cents because of the fact that we peeled off, you know, a three quarter, you know, a quarter of the onion out yeah. on the outside. So, yeah, no, I mean, listen, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely challenging, you know, but 
<clears throat> you know, a lot of a lot of guys are. Um, you know, you can buy so much prepared these days, and so many people do that. Um, you know, it's kind of mandatory that everyone go to the green market. You know, in order to be considered important or viable. Right. Um, <clears throat> but you know, like I said, you know, there were there were you know, Gramercy Tavern when I was there, we we had you know pretty much two prep ladies. You know, and all they would do really is they would peel your fava beans. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and there was definitely a fish butcher and a meat butcher because they were so intricate fabricating. But, um, you know, you'd portion all your own fish. Um, you would portion all your own meats. Um, but these ladies were there to really, um, I mean, they're the same three, you know, three people who work there now, you know, 20 years later. Yeah, exactly. Um, That's why it's a consistent product. Yeah, all they do is peel fava beans. It's not like they, they're doing a lot to help your station now. Like, they are a immense help for sure. You know what I mean? But yeah you're still blanching the fava beans for them. And if you don't get it done by the time they leave there, you're doing it yourself. You know what I mean? So <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a good, you know, I'll tell you there's, I think we've had four trails in the last two weeks and these are people coming from decent restaurants right? and none of them wanted to work there because there was, I, they had to do all their own prep. There's no one to do it for you. All we have is one lady making tortillas. That's right. It. Wow. And you know, she doesn't, and she helps make sauces. Mm-hmm. They're like, I went in there yesterday and my sous chef bangs out, you know, a huge amount of volume, you know, of prep. And then I did quite a bit of it yesterday. Um, and I like it. You know so what I, mean? I. I, I still like it. You know? I love I love knife work and I love I love I mean, for me, I'm an educator, you know, so I love to spend the time in the kitchen with the guys. And whether it's showing you how a knife, how to hold a knife or the different different parts to a knife and what the most, you know, the powerful point. And, and and I mean, I love teaching my guys that stuff. I love working with them. I love showing them. Techniques right. and you know how to run a grill. I mean, the basics right. of how to run a grill are, are you know, in a lot of cases, are missing because we've you know come from you know I've got we, we've got a we went from ninety you know nine hundred and fifty restaurants in Philadelphia fifteen eighteen years ago to ninety five hundred. You know it. Wow. You see it in New York City. Yeah, you know? I mean it's no, a it's huge. a tough it's a tough gig right now, man. It's a tough gig. Yeah. Jesus, no, it is. How it we is. Deal that's, it? I, well, I think that's why you opened some to Tijuana, right? I'll, I'll tell you, amazing employees. Yeah, I bet. I, I Great bet. guys. You know, some, Bartenders, pride. Uh, I bet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think the uh, you know I'm excited to open this place in Alabama. I think it's you know it's it's they're very loyal workers down there. There are people who work for the same restaurant for as long as they're open. Right. You know. And I what's don't your, think they bounce around like like they do here. What's your? Uh, I guess what's the demographic of the employee that you're looking at in Alabama compared to? Um, up here, I would say there's definitely, you know, there's definitely more of a, a vocational type approach right. to it. You know, like um, a lot of the guys, you know, that, that we're talking to don't necessarily have those culinary educations or whatnot. You know, they're, they're coming from other restaurants. But, you know, like I said, I think it's going to be uh, I think the people who we end up picking up are going to stay. I don't think they split over a quarter like they do in New York. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like I, I got offered, you know, 25 cents more over here. I was like, well, I, I go over there then. Yeah, you know? exactly. Cause that, yeah. Tell you, you didn't, you didn't earn it here yet. So go over there. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. It's a tough, it's a, it's a tough run these days, man. You yeah, know, the I mean, staff I, thinks the hardest thing for me. 
it's it's the it's the toughest part of it, and I see it across the board with my place, be it front of house and back of house. I mean, I had a, I had a quality employee yesterday who uh, didn't want to do my greeting and didn't want to shake the hand of a guest at the bar, you know, and and uh, those are standards of mine. And you know, she said, uh, "You're you're stripping me of my personality by making me say your greeting." And I thought to hmm. myself, "Are you fucking kidding me?" Hmm. That's you called know, employment. You yeah. Be like that's that's and, that's what it is to work for me. Yeah. Be respectful. Yeah. Well, and I have a, I have a saying that I have in the restaurant all the time, which is we had an opportunity to exceed the expectation of our guests. Did we do that? And had is very simple. It stands for one. The H is Hooters. If you work at Hooters, right. you wear the orange shorts. There's no question. You right. don't say, can I wear blue today or can I wear jeans? Right. You wear right. the orange shorts. And the right. A is American Airlines. You get on the, to American Airlines. There's three things you have to do. Put your tray up, buckle your seatbelt and keep your seat up before we take off. It's that simple. Right. They don't take right. off if you don't do that, you know. Right. And then D right. is Disney. You smile. Just smile. Yeah. And, and, and the other stuff that's in between that is, you know, the execution. And that's what we're here to do. And, you know, and I'm seeing it more and more of, well, you're stripping me of my personality or you're not allowing me to be creative. And I'm like, you're a fry cook. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with being a fry cook. Look, trust me, I'm not making fun of anybody. You know, I don't want to work fry yeah, cook sure. on Mother's Day. But, but uh, you know, it's amazing to watch people happen. Oh, I thought it would look different if, you know, look better if I did it this way. And, it, it you know, when you walk out of the restaurant, I've been gone for 12 weeks out of my place. Yeah, um, I, there was uh, there were Mario Batali, you know, Immense respect for Chef Murray. You know, I've known him a long time. Yeah. You know, um, he, uh, he, he was, you know, <laughs> it was very funny. Like some, one of the guys threw something away, um, one of his cooks, and he, he walked up to him and he said, why are you throwing that away? And then he said, he said, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't nice. I couldn't cook it. And he's like, you get paid to cook here, right? He's like, yes. He's like, so why are you throwing it away? Cook it. Yeah. You know? And it was very simple. It was very simple. He's like, cook it. You know, it's like, you're not paid to do anything else. You're paid to cook it. Yeah. You know? it's <laughs> and that was it. I was like, yeah, you're right, chef. You know, I, it was like, do what you're paid to do. You know what I mean? Like, I have, just was, I have conversations with my staff all the time. I have analogies of if I'm a cab driver and I, I ask you to take me to 55th and 5th and you drop me off at 45th and 5th, I suck as a cab driver. You know, if I'm a surgeon and 50% of my, my patients die, then I suck as a surgeon. If I'm a cook and I can't get a burger out in less than, you know, 12 minutes, then I kind of suck as a cook. Yeah. And, and I, I had a, you know, I had a big conversation with the staff in, in another state down in Florida a couple of weeks ago where, uh, you know, one of the guys came and said, hey, chef, I need to get my check. And I said, hold on, I, I, I can't find it. I, I'm not sure where it went. You know, I got to let me I, I know I saw it. I had the check. And right. so we kind of went through the shift. And at the end of the night, he came up and he's like, chef, I don't you know what the fuck are we going to do? Like, I need my check. I got to pay my bills. And I looked at him and I pulled his check out of my back pocket. And I said, you know how bad you wanted that check? The guest wanted their burger the same way. Think about how you felt for not getting paid. You got paid for them not getting their burger. Right. You know, where what do you at, say? What at do you what say? point he was pissed and he looked at me, he said, you know what? I get what you're saying, though. And it was funny because the next day we walked in and he was having a conversation with the guys on the line about. You know, come on, let's do everything our power. We got to, you know, we want to hit 14 minute entrees tonight. Let's hit 14 minutes. Let's bang it out in 14. Let's make sure we do it. And he was the motivator at that point. Um, oddly enough, he ended up leaving a couple of days later because he got offered another job from Outback. But, and, he, and funny, he was, you know, he's making 15 bucks an hour as a prep cook. You know, he's cutting right. blooming onions and he's making 15 bucks an hour at this point. 
And one, I couldn't argue with him because he's got a family and I get that. But, I, you know, I mean, I, I really try to hold guys accountable for the execution. And, and that's what we have to do, you know, and well, it's tough, it, man, especially it, with hard, the, limited, yeah. the limited pool that we have to pull from at this point. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of it, I think a lot of it comes into at this point, a lot of it because I can't guarantee what's going to come in the door right. um, for, for employees. Um, but what I can do is engineer this menu as smartly as possible for consistency. And exactly. I think that 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 is a huge piece of um, what I do these days. So, yeah. Uh, you um, know, I'm a, I'm a little nervous in Alabama because we got a lot of fresh pasta down there. So, uh, yeah, that's not that's not an easy thing. Right. Uh, yeah, we got it. We got four. You know, I think four fresh pastas on the menu. I'm like, you know, let's let's run through them all, and if if it really doesn't work, well, let's start with two, and we'll add a couple. As yeah, we better. And you guys are making your making your your pasta in house and doing it that way. Um, a couple are dried. Okay. Um, and then I'm stealing the extruder from my friend who doesn't know it yet, um, <laughs> but he owes me big. Right. Um, so I'm going to go to his house and take his extruder when he's at work. Right. And I'm going to take it and ship it down to Alabama. It's, it's Arcobalana machine. It's beautiful. Sure. Um, and we're going to, we're going to extrude a couple of long, long noodles out of there. And then, and then we're all set. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I'm excited about it. That's cool. So, so what's Indie Fresh and, and how did that come to? <clears throat> so Indie Fresh is, um, <clears throat> excuse me, as you know, um, chefs don't always lead the healthiest lives. Yeah. Um, for many years. Sorry, dude. <clears throat> That's okay. Um, I was in that position for many years. Um, I've lost a lot of weight in my life. Um, you know, I, I used to weigh in at close to 235. That's pretty big for me. Yeah. You're, um, you're 5'10, 5'11? Yeah, 5'10 and a half about. Okay. Um, and uh, I was really overweight for a lot of years. And, and uh, I, I went, you know, I went and lost weight, et cetera. And then, uh, it's just tough to keep it off sometimes when you're not, you know, when you're tasting and tasting and tasting um, some of these high carb things like pasta or whatever. Um, and I just, you know, I, I wanted to make a change and I started drinking less and all this other stuff. And I had a friend who was working at Juice Press during their big tear, um, who's who's a health nut, um, super fit. And uh, we talked about doing this for a long time. And then, you know, timing was right. Um, and we decided to pursue it, raise a little bit of money, had this startup thing. Um, and so it's a paleo, uh, gluten-free, dairy-free concept. Um, so the, the goal obviously became, how do you make this stuff taste good? You know what I mean? Because I don't want to do anything that doesn't taste good. So <clears throat> instead of taking things that um, other people do, like... Uh, you know, like um, <clears throat> gluten-free, dairy-free pasta is a good example. <clears throat> you know, it's tough, right? The gluten-free pasta is very hard. Um, and keeping it dairy-free is even tougher because a lot of those flours um, use milk powder in their, like cup for cup, for example. They have a dairy-free one, but most of the ones that you buy that are gluten-free do have milk powder. Okay. And it's because it's so fucking dry and brittle that these things need to retain as much moisture as possible. So there's there's a huge amount of nuts in this gluten free, dairy free stuff. Right. You know, I don't know if you ever noticed it in those health food concepts. There's tons yeah. of nuts everywhere. Yeah. Um, Cashew oils and yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So we're we're no exception. We do use we do use a good amount of healthy fat nuts. Um, 
But we tried to really just say, you know what, let's make a chicken salad that is really great. So it's got this Mexican seasoning, um, you know, of like guajillo chilies and chipotle and a bunch of other things, olive oil and tamari. And, you know, tamari is, you know, our version of we can use that because it's gluten free. It does have soy. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can use that. So we use some of that in the chicken marinade. It's got this, you know, umami thing happening. Um, and then we 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 make a. a, a kind of a Caesar dressing that's emulsified with walnuts. And it's really delicious. I think if you had it, you'd be, and it has quinoa for texture and some other things. It'd be really delicious. But, you know, like I said, it's definitely different. It's really clean. Um, we do a lot of soups that use uh, vegetable juice. Okay. And um, we use uh, um, a lot of legumes like beans and, and lentils and things like that. Um, but a lot of the problem we found with this uh, – you know, soup, for example, is, you know, it's really tough to achieve texture with no gluten. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we use uh, rice starch to stabilize a lot of our um, soups. Okay. Uh, a lot of it was just figuring out over time, you know, but they're all really delicious. Uh, you know, it's just, it's a little, it's a pricey business to manage because all these health food things are really expensive, you know, all the products. Yeah. Um. So we opened that. We opened a second store in Chelsea Market um, about a year and a half ago, and uh, and then we uh, we do a lot of wholesale stuff with like Barry's Boot Camp and and you know Soho House, and we're picking up a couple more uh, soon. Um, and we're trying to do a little less on the uh, on the retail stuff just because it's you know the staff is difficult to manage the the run rate with the staff compared to uh, what we're selling these products for. It's a little bit more of a math problem, um, the retail world, than um, kind of makes you wonder how much money Prada Manger actually spends to get their stuff on the shelf. It's, yeah, it's probably fucking staggering now that, I've, you know, you and I are, are chefs. So, like, if something is going wrong with our food costs, you can fix it. You'll run specials or you'll do this or that or change things. You, you can fix it. Right. You know, or order less or whatever it's going to be. The retail world is like. You can't have that shelf empty, number Ever. one. You can't have the shelf empty. Right. It can't be expired, and you can't use that stuff because it's been packaged already. Right. So you have to crack, crack the package. At that point, it's all garbage. Mm-hmm. So it's like I had never seen more food go in the garbage oh, than when I opened Indie Fresh the first like three weeks, and I was like, "Holy fuck!" Like, <laughs> what just happened? Someone just kicked my face in, you know? Like we got to fix this right away. You know, how do we fix it? You know, so we just started, you know, kind of managing our, our, um, our production just way tighter. And now it's just, you know, it took, it took a while to figure it out, but you know, it's, it's a tough way to make money at the retail business. Yeah. It's big time. I got a, we have a a coffee shop next to us and we're going to start doing some food for those guys. And, you know, he came to me and he said, I, I just, you know, I, I've got minimums that I've got to get in. I've got a, you know, I mean, it's costing me $3 and, you know, 45 cents a sandwich and I can only sell it for $6. And, yeah, you know what I mean? It's a huge piece. Yeah. It's a tough, yeah. tough run with it. So the, so the juice, the juice world's like that. Like, I mean, it's hard for, like, we were making juice in the beginning, but it, we just don't have the space. It just takes pallets and pallets of vegetables to produce quarts of juice. Yeah, it's amazing. And, and like, it's just like, they, it's just crazy business because it's very incestuous, this juice stuff. There's a handful of people who are doing it, a big handful. They all juice the same way through the right. same machine. 
they all bottle and they're, they have different recipes, obviously, but they all portion their juice the same way. It all goes into these big vats where they add the vegetable juices together to make their potion, right? right. And then they all take it to the same fucking place in New Jersey <laughs> where they all see what each other are doing and how much it costs. Right. And I was like, and they can all see each other's client list. I'm like, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. This is completely crazy. It's a place called NutriFresh. <laughs> and it's like this HPP facility where they do this high pressure pasteurization with water tanks. So it's cold and right. not hot. <clears throat> and then they all distribute. And then every once in a while, they do a few batches at once. And then all these different <laughs> juices for these different companies are mixed in there. And they have to sort it out. Oh, it's God. like a, it's like a, it feels like the, you're working with a linen company. It's crazy. Right. Yeah. yeah. I see. We have a, we have a juice place opening up, up the street from me now and in, in the suburbs of Philadelphia. And I mean, I see them everywhere. You know, I, there's a good, there's actually a great one in Cincinnati down and over the Rhine. That's beautiful. Oh yeah. You know, and I mean, you know, being a, being a Kentucky guy, I, I don't know how much time you got to spend up in Cincinnati, but Cincinnati's a town that's just blowing up. And I used to sneak, sneak out to, to, to River Bend, which is near Cincinnati. Yeah. To go to go see all of the Rush concerts in high school. Oh, there you go. Yeah. There's, it's a great town, and it's a great. It's becoming a great food town. There's a lot of really good chefs that are running yeah. in, especially in OTR, which is over the Rhine. And uh, you mm-hmm. know, I, I did a property down there for uh, Nick and Drew Lachey. And, oh, cool. Uh, great, great concept. Great sports bar. Really good guys to work with. Um, worked through a company called Forty G, which owns. Mm-hmm. They have 19 restaurants between wow. Chicago and and uh, Northern Kentucky. So I mean, they're just crushing it. You know, and there's another yeah. group down there called Thunder. I think it's Thunderdome or Thunder Group, which they're doing a whole other thing. They're in Alabama now. They're running over into um, Kentucky a lot as well. There's a lot of great properties opening up, but uh, and great concepts. You know, really good yeah. concepts. Great food, super simple. Um, I, I love where we are with food. I'm really, really very happy in in the world of food these days with watching chefs that are coming up and things that they're doing. And you know, I mean, we all still have our trends of things that we do in the direction that we sure. go, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just a, it's a fun little world. So, so were, were you, were you classically taught? Uh, I did go to culinary school, um, in, in California. It was the California Culinary Academy in San Francisco, but mostly I wanted to get out to San Francisco. That's kind of why I chose that. Right. Um, at the time, you know, San Francisco and what Chez Panisse was doing and all that stuff was kind of where everything was happening. Yes. Um, you know, stars was open and, you know, Jeremiah Towers making all these waves. And this is, you know, for, you know, forever ago, obviously, but, um, I was in Kentucky and I was like, man, I, I, I think I want to go do this culinary stuff. Uh, how How do I get, how old? Um, I was 20. Okay. And I started in the kitchen. Same as me. Um, I was, uh, yeah, just, I, I came back from college and I was like, I don't want to do that. I want to do this. Um, so I started in the kitchen I worked at the same place, you know, which is like a family restaurant, which wasn't, you know, particularly excellent food, but it was busy and it got me really comfortable running around. You know, you know, we both know you have to move in a certain way in the kitchen. Yeah. Um, it got me comfortable kind of with those movements in the kitchen and how to be busy and manage that, that pressure. Um, and then I went out to California, uh, and then that's when, you know, when I was 20, 24, I started working out there for um, for a handful of guys, you know, nice. out there. Nice. Yeah. So, what's your uh, what's what's your plan moving forward? So, you've got Alabama coming up. Alabama, and then I'm off to Hong Kong. 
right. uh, to open this group with a group called the Black Sheep Restaurant Group. They actually, uh, you may have heard of these guys through their restaurants. They license Carbone and Motorino out there. Okay. Um, from the Terezi guys. And then uh, Motorino from uh, Polombino, I think is his name. Nice. Um, it's pizza. Um, and then they, they actually have 13 of their own concepts out there. So they kind of run Hong Kong <laughs> as far as restaurants go. <laughs> Um, we're opening an Indian concept, which is similar to my very first restaurant, which is exciting. Oh, cool. Um, they're really good guys excited to be doing it. Um, they're going to run it day to day. You know, I offer my, my consulting, you know, kind of input and create the menu with these guys, um, teach them how to, how to work these recipes and manage it. And then after that, it becomes, you know, regular trips out there. So, uh, it, it kind of, you know, it's kind of like when I went to California, it gets me in a part of the world where I haven't spent a lot of time. It's amazing. You know, I went I to Hong it. Kong last year, so I'm very excited to go to Vietnam. I'm very excited to go to Singapore and some other places out there that, that I haven't spent any time at. And, you know, India is the far furthest I've ever gotten out there. So what now? I'm, I'm excited for that. Will your daughter go with you at all? Uh, not the first trip, but she's, she bugs me a lot to, to, to take her with her. And I, I, I try to take her with me everywhere I can. Um, you know, I I do a couple of dinners in in France, you know, over the past few years and I take her with me for that. Hong Kong's a bit different. It's so intense out there. Um, I don't want to take her the first trip, but the next trip I'll take her. Nice. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Super exciting. So how can we, uh, how can we get in touch with you? Easy, man. Just call me. <laughs> I got your number. I don't know if yeah. anybody else. So are you, I mean, we, your, your Instagram and stuff is uh chef Akhtar, C-H-E-F-A-K-H-T-A-R. Yeah. Chef Akhtar. Yeah. And you've got your, you've got your consulting and then you've got your properties as well. So, uh, yeah. um, Hey man, dude, congratulations on everything. Uh, you know, yeah, thanks I, so I, much. I, you too. I, I was really, I was super interested to hear about your Tijuana place when you were talking about it. Uh, yeah. It's just, a lot of- you know, it was something I'd never done before. And for me, it was, you know, I mean, I'll tell you, some of the food that I get out there is, is fresher than stuff that I'm getting over here yeah, in some I cases. I mean, you know, my my uh, my my partner slash client and all that stuff, they, uh, uh, you know, th- their their cousin owns the butcher shops, you know, so our yeah. ground beef. And I mean, I do a cheesesteak out there as well. And it's a shaved ribeye that I get from these guys. That's stunning. You know, it's just yeah, a beautiful product. And then, you know, we still go to the markets and we pick up stuff. There's a there's a central market in Tijuana that is it's be- it's got a church in the middle of it. You were telling me about that. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, yeah. you know, you're walking around and, and you're literally just every single place, you know, there's guys just, uh, you know, be, between, you know, between cleaning fruit and, and polishing it that it's on while it's on the shelf. And you get personal shoppers that walk through with you if you're buying large quantities of stuff. And, you know, you're seeing chefs that are working there. And there's a lot of American, you know, there's a lot of gringo chefs that are down there and, and mm-hmm. you know, they're doing a lot of stuff. And, and it's a it's a great it's re, it's really great experience. You know, I mean, I, I love awesome. I love the project that we put together. So it's a neat thing. So um, that sounds awesome. Well, hey, chef, man, I appreciate your time. Totally do. And it was a pleasure meeting you. Uh, we have an episode, uh, everybody that's going to be coming up on Beat Bobby Flay, where um, it was uh, it was uh, Chef Akhtar it was myself. And it was uh, uh, I, I can't remember her name. Ivy. 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 Oh, my God. Ivy yeah. Stark. Um, that, that, that did a fun little episode, you know, it was a cool little, cool little time. We got to play around with some Mexican food with Bobby Flay and the guy who was going against him. I won't tell you who won. Um, but it was, uh, it was a fun little episode. So it was a pleasure meeting. Yeah, it was fun. I, I, yeah. I've, I've done it five or six times and I've oh, really yeah. met some great chefs. You know, I, I met some, I met Michael LaMonaco there, man. That's cool. Who I'd never met before. What a great, yeah, humble, 
man holy pillar shit. Oh, pillar of new york cooking at this amazing point, yeah. yeah just yeah. such a nice guy so um well hey thanks for your time man i really appreciate it uh, i know you got to get to work and get your stuff done and, and you got a lot of projects so thank you so much for hanging out with uh, me Chef, and, uh, thank you and a great time great time talking to you ah there's my water right there that i'm drinking while i'm talking to you guys and after the amount of conversation that Octar and i just had i hope you guys learned something i really hope you enjoyed Akhtar is one of those guys. He's, he's a consummate professional. You know, this is a guy who did fine dining work for as many years as he did. He honed it. He mastered it. Um, it became a, a big craft of his. And one of the things that I enjoyed that he said is, you know, I got to a point that I realized that I had three people that were working on one sauce, you know, and it was just a point that, that uh, he, he kind of lost his interest. He lost his passion. So he brought it back down to some basics. He mastered a cuisine, and he's, and he's crushing it at this point. So, Chef, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It's something that, uh, you know, for the amount of work that you do and what you're out there and, you know, taking some time, time away from your daughter and stuff, I appreciate that very much. So that's how I feel about that. Um, so check him out. Uh, his, um, uh, his Instagram is Chef Akhtar, A-K-H-T-A-R. Um, I hope you guys have a lot of fun listening to him. Uh, I'm going to wrap it up for the week because it's a uh, – right now for me, it is a Thursday afternoon. And get ready to watch our staff, ready to rock and roll, get ready for service. Um, I've got some plans tonight to go out with some friends, and I'm really excited about that. So with that being said, I want to thank a couple of people. I want to thank uh, my wonderful friends down there, RadioInfluence.com, for all the hard work that they put into this show. I want to thank you guys for hosting me last week with Mr. Ian Beckles over at his house, making that just a reality of, of mine that I wanted to do for a while as a fun drunk show. Uh, obviously, I want to definitely thank uh, Maggie Gagliardi, um, check her out. It's at Mags Art on Instagram and Twitter. She's a truly wonderful human being. She does an amazing job with all the artistry that she does and the illustrations for the promos for the show, um, stuff that she's done for my website as well. Leading into the website, we are talking about Michelle, um, who is over there at Techno Solution, who puts my websites together, who works with my clients, uh, who makes people really happy. So if you guys need some work on a website, you guys need some graphic design stuff, yep, I burped, have a conversation with Michelle Stockman out there at, oh man, geez, I can't get this burp out, at Techno Solution. There's a promo piece for you right there. There's a commercial. Get the host of the show to burp in the middle of it. It's awesome. Okay. Now, from there, I have my own consulting company. It's called Duffified Experience Group. Please do me a favor. Come in and check us out. Go to the website. Check out some of my clients' projects that we've done. I have some really cool projects coming up that I'm so excited about. Mr. Michael Tips and I are doing a huge project in Indianapolis called Good Conduct Misbehaving. And I'm getting to do the menu for it. So, boys and girls, I'm going to be heading to Indianapolis next week. Hopefully, I'll have Mr. Tips on the show again to hang out with me. I want to thank you all so much for your support and everything that you do. And I hope you guys have an absolutely wonderful day. Adios, my friends. Didn't get Duffified enough? Follow Chef Brian Duffy on Facebook and on Twitter at Chef B-R-I-D-U-F-F. Look for the blue verified checkmark to get exclusive content and to see what's coming up on next week's show. This has been Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. This is The Crush Report with Jeff Groeschel. How are the big food and soda companies accessing our children to promote their products? And is it time to rebrand exercise to get away from the concept that it's an effective weight loss tool? We spoke with Dr. Yoni Friedhoff. 
The problem is, is when we look at population-based studies, both in adults and kids and truly around the globe, this idea of exercise as a preventative or a treatment for obesity has been incredibly disappointing. People don't seem to, despite huge amounts of exercise, um, get any handle on their weight unless they also simultaneously change their diet. And so for Coca-Cola, getting involved in causes that promote a message that's Coke-friendly, which is exercise and you can have Coke, and also getting involved with causes that are beyond reproach. It's hard to, uh, you know, wrap your head around knocking a company that's giving, for instance, dollars or charity, however you want to describe it, uh, to youth sport. But, you know, I think it's important for people to remember this isn't charity. This is marketing. If it was charity, they'd be giving checks with no strings attached. Uh, ultimately, we end up uh, serving as unwitting marketers for all sorts of folks who probably shouldn't have access to ourselves or our kids, but that's just the world that we've created over the course of the past 50 years. Crush Performance, your weekly source for sport performance and athletic development information. If you're a serious athlete, a weekend warrior, parent, or coach, join us each week as we investigate the latest trends and research coming out of the sport performance world. We'll visit with top athletes, coaches, and sports scientists to keep you on the cutting edge and to find out what it truly takes to achieve human maximum performance. You can visit us online at CrushPerformance.com and Crush Performance Radio with me, Jeff Kershell, can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and at Radio Influence.